0: It's time for the Juice Box Junkies, an independent Houston Astros podcast. All Astros, all the time. Astros news, analysis, and opinions right here on the Juice Box Junkies.
1: Marty Coleman, episode three of the Juice Box Junkies, all the way from Virginia today. I got Brian Dunleavy with me. Brian, how's it going?
0: It's going. It's going a little. Feeling a little Texas weather up here. A little fifty-plus degrees over here. I'm, I'm I'm liking it.
1: Hey, we finally made it back to the 70s today, and I got shorts on for the first time in, a, in about ten days. Uh, we had snow last Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Uh, we're not used to that here, so. Uh,
0: Rub it uh, in, man. Keep
1: keep it. It's like 70 and sunshine here today. Christian Espinoza all the way out in Seattle, Washington. He graced us this week and he's actually got to Astros hat on frontwards this week. Christian, what's Yeah, happening?
2: I want to make sure everyone knows that um, I'm actually an Astros fan and I'm from Houston. So, you know, I didn't want there to be any concerns after our episode <laughs> one. So
1: Nice, nice, nice. All right. Well, we represent, we got you know, three different time zones working here, fellows. We uh, we thought we were going to have some more contributors. Day didn't work out. Works out. You know, we'll figure it out either way. But we've we've got three time zones across the country represented on this podcast. And you know, I debated putting the lockout on the agenda because episode three, very this will be the third time we talked about the lockout. We don't have much to talk about. Just that uh, last week, the owners offered or. Suggested that uh, they use the federal mediators, soundly, roundly, and quickly rejected by the players and the and the union. And really, the only other thing that's happened to the lockout that I know of, you guys may know more than me. But the only thing I know of, the players have just been bashed in Manfred and MLB on social media. That's the only thing I've really seen in the last week. No real progress, Brian. Any progress that you're aware of, or we're we still at square? How would you call it square one? Square zero?
0: I, yeah, I'd say square zero or negative one. I, you know, I think, I think I haven't seen anything really materialize other than some some fun tweets and things. I know, you know, there's one player that tweeted out, you know, the players are holding strong together and and they're in this. So I think they're in it for the long haul. You know, for the time being. Um, so that's not a good sign. I was also just reading um, uh, another player from the uh, Braves pitcher uh, saying, and I know that's a sour topic for the podcast here, but um, but I like what he says. He said, hard to negotiate with the wall, Tyler it's Tyler Matzik. doesn't matter if you add an outlet to it or not. So, you know, I think that perfectly <laughs> expresses the, the feelings, the frustrations that the players have that they, they, they're trying to – at least talk about it, and the owners uh, don't seem interested whatsoever in it. And and if that's the case, I think our worst fears are going to come true. I think we're going to be in this until, I don't even know, June, maybe maybe longer.
1: Well, that is uh, incredibly depressing, especially for a podcast that just started. It's on episode three. Well, I have impeccable timing of starting the podcast uh, a couple years ago. <laughs> it was college football when uh, the pandemic hit, uh, and now it's uh, baseball, MLB, during uh, which looks like a strike or a lockout is looming. Christian, anything? Any updates from your end on the lockout? What you're thinking? We talked. We were chatting before we hit record, and we were talking about the players standing strong, as Brian said. And one of the things I mentioned was that. They're standing strong now they're listening to paychecks and I read a couple of weeks ago that the union had a plan to pay them five thousand dollars a month um, Sounds great you know sounds great but if you're used to making 30 or 20 or 15 or 10 heck even one million dollars a year five thousand a month isn't gonna cut it you think players continue on this path Christian or do you see any hope of uh, any negotiations in the near future?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's uh, it's it is a game of chicken at this point, right? It's it's, it's who's going to blink first? Who wants the money more—the owners or the players? And I and I don't think it's the, from what I've been reading is that uh, from the players' perspective, they're not trying to change anything wildly different in the language that's already presented. They just want some of those numbers and facts and figures to be updated. Obviously, with more share the revenue and that type of thing. So, I just think it's about money and how how long they're going to stick to their guns. I think it's going to become more of a uh, a public uh, public um, mudslinging thing before this is over said and done. I mean, obviously the mediation was a uh, and and the player's response to that has been uh, just kind of the start of it's it just finger pointing at this point as especially as fans start to realize, Oh, we're not going to get baseball on time and and real baseball might be affected at this point or is affected at this point. So, um, I think it's, you know, it's going to be a total game of chicken. It's going to get, it's going to be public uh, mudslinging a little bit just on whose faults, what and all that kind of things. But I did, I did see, um, you know that Lance McCullers Jr. is uh, the Astros' players rep, and Jason Cashier, I believe, sits on an executive committee for the MLB Players Association. And I think they've been keeping the Astros and players in the loop, you know, as much as humanly possible. But it sounds like they they're kind of in those two. At least the comments and, and quotes I've seen, they're in line with what the the what the players have been reported nationally so our team is, is specifically is in line with uh, the with the with the goal of of, of improving their revenue numbers and sort of those service time manipulation things that we've talked about on previous episodes so yeah and i mean obviously not a lot to to talk about but we have to at least touch on it you know with 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 it being such a prominent thing that's affecting the game right now so
1: no doubt, um, and as I mentioned, I was thinking as you as you were talking there. As I mentioned in the article I wrote uh, about my son and I missing out on baseball this year, potential billionaires arguing with millionaires about who gets what. You know, that's kind of that's kind of what we're talking about here at this point. Okay, fellas, last week we talked about Trevor's story, and uh, Matt Kunkel, who's not here today, said uh, he wanted a design story. Of course, I. I charged him with doing the college football routine of just signing everybody you can so the other teams wouldn't get him. Uh, I think both Brian and I were on the side of not signing Trevor Story, mainly because of the splits. Uh, I think he batted 203 away from Coors Field last year. And subsequently, uh, a little research on my end shows he's gotten worse every year on the road. He had some decent years early on in his career in the 260 range, and then it went to 240, and then it went to 220, and last year it was 203, I believe. Downhill, away from Coors Field, that scares me. Um, I don't want to pay $20 million for for a guy to hit 203 or 210 or whatever. Uh, I'd rather take the chance on Jeremy Pena. I think that's what Brian and I agreed on last week. Christian came back with a rebuttal. Now we want to allow him to share his rebuttal, Live on the podcast or taped when you see it, but we're live. Live on the podcast, Christian. Your uh, take on why the Astros should consider Trevor Story? Well,
2: first of all, Marty, it's not it's not our money. It's uh, Jim's Crane's money, and he has plenty of it. So write <laughs> write the damn check. That's number one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. If if we can't get Correa and he's not willing to do the ten year, three hundred twenty five million dollar contract i think Trevor's story at 20 millions would be a nice concession you know i don't really i mean pena on paper looks great he like he, he we've seen him in in some of the fall leagues and stuff and just playing really well he looks like an mlb player i mean the eye test and you need to show me metrics like just watching the guy play he looks like he's an mlb player so I think I think we don't need to sign Story to an, an enormously long contract, and I don't think it's going to be as lucrative as people think, just because of those reasons you mentioned, right? It's like he's coming off of some injuries last season. He's been his team has just been dismantled around him, so he's just getting less and less protection, less and less uh, quality batters. I mean, Nolan Arenado got traded. I think he's got maybe. Ryan McMahon maybe is is the only only real good solid hitter in that lineup, and and Charlie Blackman's long long kind of, um, you know, past past his prime a little bit, not long past his prime, but just just past his prime, and not not quite the hitter he was, you know, at, the, at this prime mm-hmm. of his career. And so, I think you're just starting to see some of those things of a bad team, a, a player that just needs to change a scenery. I, I think the things that encourage me the most is. Um, his power is real. Like, I mean, it, it, you don't need, he doesn't need altitude to, to drive the ball. You know, I think he's, I, I lived in Colorado, lived in Denver before I lived in Seattle and I spent a lot of time watching those games and I, I think it, it, as much as it behooves players to be able to hit the ball a little bit further with the altitude, it also helps pitchers, you know, um, you know, a little bit as well in, in terms of moving the ball around and those types of things. And so, I think it, it's it's maybe a little bit of a loss just because of the power he's shown. He has the ability to, if you look at his hit charts, he can move the ball around the field, but generally his power is enough that it would be just a, a perfect Crawford box home run. And so, uh, I, I, like I said, I don't think you sign him for, you know, uh, Corey Seager, um, Carlos Correa money. Even, even if it's a shorter contract, I don't see paying him more than, you know, maybe 22 million a year or something like that. But, you know, a nice number would be around 20 million. Uh, strong defender, not a great defender uh, in some metrics. Some metrics he's in the top percentile, you know, with, uh, you know, ultimate zone rating and defensive run saved, He's in the top 20 defenders in the league, you know, but then, you know, you look at outs above average and think number, some of those numbers and he's in the fourth percentile, which is, you know, and and, and, those, and we know that all those these metrics are kind of finicky. You know, Carlos Correa and Nolan Arenado are two platinum glovers last season weren't even in the top ten in OAA. So I, I try to take things with a grain of salt. But I, I just look at it as what's our best options, right? So, you know, if if we have to roll with um, Chaz McCormick and and eventually Jake Myers as a platoon again this season. Uh, and uh and, J- and Jeremy Pena, I that, I that don't believe that's the best team we can put on the field if we just hold that st- hold steady. You know, I know that we're if, especially if we're losing Correa because that is like a, a consistent. You know, two seventy eight. Who he, his his road splits are mirrored, and he is a really good hitter on the road and at home. And uh we're losing a lot of a lot more offense than people realize. I know he had a bad slump this last season in the middle of the summer, but he really came through in the playoffs and and, and towards the end of the season. Um, so we're gonna lose a lot of a lot more offense there than, than people realize and so I, I think if we 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 are a championship team and if we were a team trying to just make it to the playoffs and win some games in a playoffs, I think this would be fine to run with Jeremy Banya at shortstop and Chaz McCormick and eventually Jake Myers at center field. But I just don't think long-term that's, that's the right thing to, to do. Um, or I mean, that short-term, I just don't think that's the right thing to do a uh, long-term, you know, it could be great. Jeremy Pena could be great. He could be perfect. He, he could be everything that Carlos Correa uh, is taking with him. And, but I think uh, Trevor story inserted into this lineup, you know, he, he did come out that an article did come out today from, um, um, I believe out of the Denver Post, uh, he was quoted as saying he wasn't going to – he wasn't interested in changing positions. So I know Brian and I joked I'm like, okay, we'll make a concession. We'll move him to center field. But it doesn't sound like he wants he, – Trevor Story wants that. So I think if we if we did sign him, um, he, he would be put at shortstop. I just – I don't know. I don't really know what, what the Astros – they may be feel confident with what they have on paper. But I would feel a little better knowing we have a, a potential 30-30 guy – inserted into the lineup.
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned some of the things we talked about last week. You must have listened to the podcast. Um, (laughs) Brian talked about maybe his power, some of those home runs uh, that he's hitting in Colorado would fall short in Houston. uh, You know, short of the Crawford boxes or off the wall or you know, three or four feet here or there or whatever, the difference in Colorado could make a difference in home runs. But you also brought up a, a really good point is that the projections I've seen for Pena have him around 10 or 11 home runs, have him around 240. Now, I think you're talking about a massive, huge falloff from Carlos Correa if Jeremy Pena has the expected season that the projections are showing. Okay, uh, Brian, you have a chance for a rebuttal to Christian's rebuttal on Trevor Story.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I I, th- I think there's a lot of good good points that Christian makes and especially in the short term you know if he was signed for a one-year deal or a two-year deal it might not be the worst thing in the world if we don't re-sign Correa Um, but with that said I mean you look at his splits and in in history uh, especially his power numbers Christian mentioned that I just went back a couple of years especially his 30 plus home run years and he only had 11 of those away from course uh, and had well into the 20s at home so you know, are his power numbers inflated because he's at cores? I think so. I think, I think maybe he tops out at uh, around 20 home runs. Maybe, maybe you know, two or three plus around there. Um, and so my question is: is that along with a low uh, batting average percentage worth it compared to having a rookie? You know, maybe platoon um, in there with you know with some others. Um, you know, whether we keep um, Diaz and and platoon him with the rookie or, uh, you know, what I suggested, you know, maybe you, maybe you do sign story for a year, cut or trade Diaz. And then you bring up Pena to be that utility guy and get him some experience in that utility, just playing and, you know, filling in on people's off days and, and different things. And, and And you still get some production out of him and some introduction to the big leagues. And, and, and while we were talking here, you know, unfortunately, the more we talk about it, the more y'all make me think about all these things. And the other questions that we could bring up um, that, that you could throw into the mix as well. Um, you know, if you want to you get some other options or look at some other options, you, there's lots of people that are unsigned right now um, that didn't quite make it to the lockout pre-signing um, and I know a lot of them probably have predetermined locations or, or, or places they're going to go. But, but could you, and I know this has been bounced around, could you, could you see moving um, Alex Bregman over to short and signing a premier third baseman with that money that you got left over? And then, you really, then you're really talking about replacing those power numbers because power numbers at third base are a lot easier to come by than they are at shortstop. And so yep. if you, you get, you know, a, a free agent third baseman that can get you 20, 25 jacks with 80 RBIs, just like Correa produced this year, you know, you're not losing too much. You get that, that position and and then at the same time, you can still bring up, you know, the rookie and get him experience and get him, you know, some time where it needs to be and decide maybe, maybe we keep it that way or maybe we move Bregman back to, to third and, and, you know, and go from there. And if Payne is really producing and, and showing out while he's up for, you know, that utility man, that fill-in role, but especially looking at that, you could you could really sign a, a top-tier guy for a one or two-year contract, just like they did with Verlander for third base, and and uh, and, and you know, again, trying to extend the, the the push towards the series title another year.
1: One more year, Christian. Any final words on story, or did you say it all on the first go round? No,
2: I'm good. i I don't want to. I don't want to beat that dead horse. But I do like the, the idea of the 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 moving Alex potentially to shortstop. I know that that's that's something big league clubs don't really like to do too much is moving guys around like that, especially. Um, Kind of superstar players like Bregman is, and he's coming off of a wrist surgery and all these things. So it may not be the right time to to ask him to do all that extra work in addition to some of the rehabilitation and things he's uh, been dealing with. But I think it, in on, on in theory, you could. There's a plenty of nice short or I'm sorry, third basements out there that I mean. I, I I was I was adamant about adding Chris Bryant at the trade deadline last season, and I think insert him into that lineup. He's like the pro, he's like the prototypical Astro, um, at least offensively. And you know, obviously, he's a pretty strong and versatile defender. Can play corner outfield and third base, and so um, you know something like that I, I would be really interested in. But I just I, I don't know that the, the, the big league club would. Especially Crane would really feel good about, and we don't know what Alex wants to do, but I think he's got enough swagger. If you if if anyone asked him, he'd probably be like, oh yeah, I'll go back and play shortstop. I'll do whatever it takes. So, uh, yeah. So if anyone was going to do it, it'd be him for sure. Well, Seems and he like- ahead, he on. also
0: too, um, you know. I I think he looking at at shortstop. I mean. Could be an option. I, I don't think it would be. I, I agree with you, Christian. If we were starting in, in March right away, I don't think it would be an option. I don't think he could play a full season, you know, full right after all this stuff and go right in there and jump in. Um, and I don't know if he wants that either because that's a great question too. But um, but if we if we don't start playing until June or July, he's got a lot more rehab time, a lot more time to, to get ready for that potential, uh, especially if ownership has a, a you know, privy conversation with them saying hey you know this is what we're looking at maybe you want to train for both
1: interesting so this is uh this is going to be a a great um, a great topic for podcast uh, especially if one of these comes up and as one of these scenarios actually happens during the season or there's more discussion about this as a potential option everything ever has, hasn't been that it's been they need a shortstop weather, and whether it looks like it's going to be paying you. That's that's pretty much what I've seen, uh, at least that I've read. So, all right, this week's minor leaguer, we were going to start out, talk about Corey Lee. But over the weekend, my son had the brilliant idea of talking about Matthew Barefoot. Now, I have no idea why he picked. Matthew Barefoot out as as all of the minor leaguers to uh, talk about, but I reached out to Matthew uh, Barefoot on Twitter, and he was kind enough to respond and provide some information, which you two guys are more uh, ready to talk about than I will ever be uh, changing his batting stance. Anyway, he, he was a six round draft pick in 2019 out of Campbell University in North Carolina. Uh, Started out with Tri-City in the New York Penn League, I believe. Had a horrible season, batted 155. And I realize he had an open stance in college. And, you know, college is one thing, as you guys know. But he was a little overwhelmed uh, that first year and batted 155. I think he only had one extra base hit in 71 at-bats. So not a good year. But during this time, he's working with Astros' minor league hitting instructor Sean Godfrey. Changed his stance. He knew he needed to change his stance. Um, And let me see. Uh, I wanted to um, tell you what he told me. But basically, um, uh, horrible podcasting here. Um, The the MLB.com profile on Barefoot said his swing had a lot of movement and effort and it was an unorthodox swing. Um, he His goal was to make the swing more efficient. And a, he collaborated with Godfrey to keep his load simple. There you go. Um, which he said would translate to easy power. Ended up at three levels last year, hitting 20 home runs, finishing up at Corpus where he struggled, batting only 175 at Corpus from August on. But he said he's worked in the offseason. He has a plan moving forward. Um Almost the exact same measurables as Chaz. I mean, they're within; they're the same height, at least listed, and three pounds each other. Um, he's a speedster. Uh, Twenty-one out of twenty-five stolen bases. Twenty-one for twenty-five in those stolen bases last year across those three levels. And here's the thing I found out doing research. This is why I love it. My man had a ninety-four mile an hour fastball in college, but he did not want to pitch. He didn't want to pitch. He told me his goal is to prove that he can play center field, uh, and he wants to do that this year. He told me he wanted to improve his arm, and I'm like, well, you throw 94. What are you looking for? I mean, you know, <laughs> I think one of the problems he had was accuracy uh, as a pitcher. But anyway, needless to say, he's at Corpus. He didn't tell me where he hoped to start the season, but I'm assuming it's going to be Corpus and double-A. A big year for barefoot. Uh, as I said, he only hit 175 at Corpus last year when, while he was here, 137 bats. Um, so if he's going to continue to progress uh, to the show, he needs to um, have a bigger year this year. Brian, do you know anything about barefoot? Have you seen any of uh, And the video in there of a 510-foot home run, by the way? Um, at least allegedly. Allegedly a 510-foot <laughs> home run. Ryan, have you do? Do you know anything about uh, Matthew Barefoot? Have you seen any of uh, any information on him, or seen any film?
0: No, I haven't seen any film on him. I mean, I was just looking over his stats when we were going to be talking about it today. Just like you had mentioned, um, you know, looking at his stats at the different levels, low A, high A, he seemed to do pretty well, pretty solid overall, and then. Um, you know, looks like once he got the double A, took a little dip down, and 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 that could be the same thing that happened with the first year right out of the box. That he, um, you know, it takes a little time to get adjusted to maybe the speed of the game, uh, maybe the uh, the movement on the pitches and that sort of thing, and and or maybe just a confidence boost. You know, it's tough going from team to team and moving from from different guys, different coaching, and different spots in the lineup. Um, you're going to see a lot of different pitches, a lot of different approaches to you as a hitter that you might not have seen if you were the, the top guy that, you know, leadoff man or, or number two hole. Um, you know, that could be part of his, you know, part of his issue and his adjustment. Um, I do like the fact that he is open to that uh, coaching, especially from the – the, uh, coaching standpoint from Hitton, um, you know, it, it, especially when you get to the to the major league level and, and I'm sure he saw a handful of decent arms, you know, playing at Campbell. Um, you know, Campbell's a, a, a Division 1 school and so he saw pretty good talent, I'm sure, there in North Carolina. There's lots of great players that come out of there. Um, but, you know, shortening your load and, and, and getting, getting to where you're supposed to be um, sooner rather than later seems to be you know, that same thing I was talking about is adjusting to the speed, you know, going from an open stance and um, really it's timing and it's hard for for guys to if they don't have super quick hands to get to that spot and, and get to that, um, you know, ready hitting position in time and and close off and get ready to attack the ball. If they can't do that um, consistently and it's a little tougher to adjust, especially to the off speed pitches, than stand, you know, staying straight, staying short. Um, is definitely the best solution. Use the power of the pitcher's speed, uh, you know, against him uh, to get those power numbers up. And and I'm sure, you know, working with that in his in his swing track and everything, it probably got him just where he wants to be. So, I think for him, it's only time to to adjust to the new speed, the new pitching level, and keep going from there. It might be he might have the same scenario this year. He starts out in Double A, finishes in Triple A, and then and then the same thing repeats the next year starts out in AAA, maybe makes it up to the club in in August of, of 23, you know, you don't know. Um, but um, you know, as far as all those things, you know, looking stats wise and, and numbers and measurables, I mean, it seems like, and this comes back to the big question and this is not for me to answer. This is for crane and this is for click and, and if dusty Baker's still the manager, that's for them to answer is that the kind of player they want on the club for center field because there's huge differences in philosophy. Do you want a speed guy, a, a power guy, a, a consistent average guy, or do you want a guy that just you know for the most part hits for hits for power and, and, and is a numbers guy? And, and from what I see and have heard from Baker, I know he's an old school guy. He wants he wants the fast guys that have the high average um, and power numbers are are a bonus. Um, so if Baker's still there. You know, barefoot's if he can get his stolen bases up, you know, consistently, then he might be the guy. But if but if uh, Baker's not there, then then who knows what direction they may go in?
1: Yeah, he readily admitted, Matthew, but admitted that he uh, had an issue with his swing last August. He said in the later part of the year, and I'm assuming that means uh when he hit 175 at Corpus. So he believes he's ironed that out. So we'll. We'll see what that means this year. Christian, your take on Matthew Barefoot as a prospect.
2: You know, I, I, I am, uh, this will show you the level of nerd I am, but I'm in a, like a 50 50 person roster, uh, fantasy dynasty keeper league baseball league. And so I, I, uh, do a lot of research on minor leaguers for that, for that purpose and watch a lot of videos, especially with the Astros, obviously they're the, the team I follow. And so, I had done a little, I did, did a little, uh, I guess, my own level of scouting, which isn't, you know, pro level by any stretch. But to say his swing was unorthodox, I mean, he was, he had his hands really high, he had a crazy toe tap, and somehow compressed his body when he was hitting the ball. And I think that really um, was really hurting his swing. And so we did, he, I mean, he indicated he worked it, work that out. One of the things I think I, I was, re, I didn't really, like, as, as fact, I keep, forgetting to factor into a lot of these conversations when we have about our, our prospects, especially right now is that they missed all of 2020, like they didn't play baseball at all, like all these guys. And so, um, and for a guy like barefoot who, who is coming out of Campbell, um, not a top tier prospect, you know, has a, I think he has a plus hitting tool and that's about it. You know, everything else is kind of hit or miss. Um, you know he he's he needs all the development that he can get in all the time and so I think that kind of probably hurt him a little bit. I know I read an article written by by Chandler Rome where where Barefoot indicated that he he bought it uh, set up an indoor batting cage and a and a track man and all that stuff to like really hone in his swing and I think we saw some of that in 2021 where he was working with coaches you know putting the time in on his own and we we saw some real improvement. I mean he was hitting well over 300 in, in low A and and just. I think he maybe probably got into a little bit of a slump there when he got to Corpus, but, you know, I, I, he's got those tools. Like he's, he, he, as far as like the running and and the throwing, uh, you know, I think uh, from, from what I understand is, you know, he, he plays a decent center fielder. He he could make some better reads and, and maybe some game situational type things that he can work on. But those are, those are things that he kind of lost during that pandemic year. So we just have to like, okay, he's still young he's still gonna have time to play Corpus next season maybe another full season there i don't really see any path for him to be in the big leagues at this point right right this minute but um but he is like like marty said he is a six foot 200 pound prototypical astro center fielder he fits that jake myers well jake myers is a little bigger but uh chas mccormick kind of mold and so um, I am excited to see how how he will progress. I mean, he he's he never hit under 300 at Campbell. Uh, like Brian said that's a that's a really good school that plays a lot of good teams and uh you know, so there's something to that, you know. It does it's not, it's not a fluke and you know, I think he's coming into the season probably ranked as in our top 15 maybe prospects of our in our system. So, you know, he's he, we don't have the best system in the league, but I think we do have some of the best uh, coaches down there and, and 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 amongst our minor league uh, squads that really hone in and develop guys and break things down and simplify it for them. I mean, we see that with Miles uh, and and Toro and some of these guys who weren't, um, you know, pro- Baseball America's you know our baseball is top one hundred guys. You know, you know. So we're we're seeing production and and it's not grim to, to know that we have. Uh, quote unquote one of the worst farm systems, uh, in the in the league. When we have guys like Barefoot who are who are putting in the work to actually develop and and to to take the next step. So yeah, excited to see see what comes comes from him. You know, it's hard to deny. You know, the season he had last season. Obviously, he struggled a little bit at Corpus. Um, you know, average wise and just really um I, I like i i didn't watch a ton of those games i did see some of them and from what i could see it was just he looked a little bit lost in in his swing but um you know that's stuff that can be worked out real easily so
1: yeah he was uh 344 at low a and i think 287 uh mm-hmm. at high a and then dropped down to 175 at yeah. uh at corpus so some adjustments there, and as Brian said, he's he spent the whole summer moving from place to place to place, team to team to team, and league to league to league. I don't think we have time for another topic, but I wanted to continue something for a minute that you guys were talking about, especially Brian. You were talking about the philosophy on the center fielder. I'm the one who wrote the article last year that said, Straw. we needed somebody else besides Straw. It wasn't just because of his power, that was or lack thereof. That was one of them, and probably one of the major ones. But I just didn't think he added a lot of value. I didn't see that he was the greatest defender um, uh, that he was being made out to be. Now, he was a very good defender. I'm not taking that away from him. But we've seen that Chaz you know can play center field I think Chaz is more valuable he can play all three outfield positions Jake Myers is a is an excellent center fielder so they have two we talked about a, a a not the deepest farm system in the world there's been some talk about trading uh, Myers or, or Chaz and most most of the time it ends up being Chaz because people in general I believe see Jake as the future center fielder. For me, Chaz is, is ultimately incredibly valuable. He's played, I think, over 200 innings at all three outfield positions, and he plays them all well. Um, he, he's kind of like the 11th DS of the outfield. Um, a little bit concerned about his drop-off in power at this in the second half of last season. I think he had 10 home runs before the All-Star break, only four after, and his his uh, slug percentage went way down. So just a, kind of a quick, thing here at the end Jake Myers as your center fielder Chaz as a utility outfielder is that what we're seeing in the future uh Karnak there Mr. Brian Dunleavy in Virginia is that how you see it playing out or do you see Chaz getting traded and maybe barefoot coming up to be the replacement barefoot also played all three outfield positions so far as a minor leaguer by the way
0: yeah, I think, I think the biggest question is going to be how long Jake Myers is out and if he's ready to go at the start of the season. So if that's the case, let's say, you know, just quick theory-wise, if, if we start in June and Jake Myers is ready to go day one and can suit up and play center field, I think Jake Myers is your guy. I don't think there's a question about that because he did not have the dip. He did not have the, 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 the power surge, if you will, and – uh, you know the season. Now he didn't play as long either, so right. so that could be a question. You know, I I think you keep both of them. I, I honestly do, unless you have such uh, such huge trade you know potential and, and value for one of them that you're getting an offer for something that you you know for, to reference the Godfather can't refuse. You know, um, there there's no other way to to um, to look at it. You got to keep both of them, and and I'll bring up this point in particular and this is this is my idea and thought why uncle mike is just getting just getting older and i love brantley he's the consummate professional Um, he's he's fantastic at the plate he's an average guy um, and i think that's especially why he's he's on the astros too and dusty baker really likes him because he is an average guy Um, and uh you know with that how long is uncle mike gonna last and how many years does he have left i think I think looking long term, you got to look at who um, do the Astros want to keep in the outfield? I mean, they're going to have uh, Uncle Mike this year, sure, and, and probably Jake Myers and, and McCormick splitting and Kyle Tucker. But then next year, the year after that, what happens? Uh, you know, Brantley could be moving on, could be retiring um, any time now, and and you want somebody in, in his place. Um, and I think McCormick is a great platoon guy to, to be in just like. I'm saying for Pena, you know, putting them in on guys' days off, I would put McCormick in, in any of those three positions on their day off if those guys spread them out, get McCormick at the ABs, get get Myers obviously in the starting role and his, him get the ABs. And, and if they fluctuate, either of them, you can sub one out for the other, no problem. Uh, the biggest issue and the biggest thing that needs to be addressed for Myers is long-term durability. Uh, does he have it? Can he keep up the production throughout the, the whole season, especially a long season? and the big question um, McCormick has to answer for this year is you know contact uh, he you know lost that power in the second half of the season and also his strikeouts went way up at the same time and i think pitchers kind of figured out uh, and scouting reports figured out how to solve him a little bit and so can he adjust to that can he adjust to the to what other teams are going to do and 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 be productive and and ultimately not just, just contact and and have a little bit of higher average will go a long way for him. But I definitely see Myers as as the number one guy, and you know McCormick in there. Number two is the as and as the utility guy, and and maybe barefoot in a couple of years is that utility guy the same as McCormick would be this coming season.
1: Here's the thing, Chaz. Uh, I did a little research on Chaz, and he had. Uh, twenty home runs in nine hundred and sixty-eight minor league at bats, and he had ten in his first hundred and thirty something, I think, at bats before the all-star before the all-star game last week. So just came kind of came out of nowhere, right? I mean, and he ended up with fourteen, but I think you know, he only as I mentioned, he only had four in the next hundred and sixty or seventy at bats in the second half. So will it come back? Who knows? Christian, you get the final word on this topic. Center field, Jake Myers. Chaz McCormick, some combination, or we're forgetting about Jose Siri.
2: Yeah, so we have we. I I I'm glad you brought that up. And so the the fun thing about this is that uh, you know I I think we we talk a lot about story or we have talked a lot about story so far with the, with our podcast, but. I think that's the only legitimate free agent that we're we're going to look at at this point. Uh, I think if we have, we're not going to have any more conversations. But if you look at center fielders, free agent wise, I mean, unless we're bringing back like Jake Marisnik or something like that, who is a free agent, or or we go outside for a corner outfielder, you know, I wrote an, an article about okay, maybe the just like a fantasy wish list kind of free agent, like let's go get Seiha Suzuki from from Japan put him in right field and move Chris Bryant to center field. And I was like, that would be perfect, especially if Pena playing center field. But I just don't think those are really logical things that that's going to happen, especially with the lockout, the way it is and stuff. And so I, I think we, we hold Pat with what we have. I mean, I think you keep, it can keep Siri on the roster. Siri can be packaged with Jake Oterizzi or any combination of those guys could be packaged with Oterizzi for some bullpen piece that we're going to need at the middle this, inevitably need at the middle of the season. Um, cause we always need bullpen help. Every team always does. And, um, you know, and so one of those guys, unfortunately is going to be the odd man out this season it, it, about the whatever trade deadline ends up being in August or September and looking at this point, October, but I don't know, I'm just kidding. But, um, but so I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be obviously, Mar- uh, um, sorry, not Marisnik, uh, McCormick's, um, job to lose for now just because myers is getting help still getting healthy but one of the things i really liked about myers is in the playoffs like how much of a spark plug he was like the guy's a gamer like jake myers is a gamer i did a deep dive on him on one a a past article on climbing towels hill and he's always been like a, a gamer like that just a big time guy he played at nebraska uh, just, just, uh, just always been that kind of a, a big time guy. And, and once the, once to, to show off and not show off, but like show out and, and really, sh- uh, do some special things and be a spark plug. And so I liked a lot of those things I saw in the playoffs. Those, those are the kinds of things that energize me. You know, when we talk about Perea, like, yes, he has his, uh, you know, his value as a regular season guy, but all of our, the why the Astros are great is the things they do in the postseason, And when I see, what Jake Myers did and his before he he got hurt, uh, it was it was I thought it was very encouraging. And so um some of those things that is, is for the next season, you know, I think it's gonna be Jake Myers' job once he's he's back and kind of healthy and in the swing of it. But McCormick's not that's to say they're almost a wash. I mean we we, we debated this all season on our and our team Slack where, you know, we all like it it's almost interchangeable really. It's just a matter of who who matches up better. Um, we we have a team that has enough data and analytics that we're going to be able, Dusty's going to be able to make the decision of who's the best person to, for the best matchup. And I think we can play it like that and be OK. And then we always have Siri, you know, um, you know, to, to be a spark plug to, to come in and, you know, obviously he has massive power, but he also has some. You know he's not quite the hitter that the other two are in terms of of con you know a- average contact and those types of things. And so love seeing Siri play. I love the swagger, but I just I don't see him as like an everyday guy. Um, as far as potential center field, I mean, if the, if both guys struggle and or maybe Jake Myers doesn't even come back at, by the midpoint, and, and we see McCormick and Siri struggle, you know I don't I don't know that we go out and trade for anybody either. And, you know, I, I I was really high on Brian Reynolds, but Pirates seem pretty adamant that they don't want to trade him. Uh, Baltimore has already said they want to trade Cedric Mullins, but I just don't think we have enough to give up the, to get him. Um, you know, we would have to give up one of our young pitchers like Luis or Fromber or something. And I just don't think the Astros want to do that. Pitching is pretty valuable for us right now. And so, um yeah, I think we're going to roll with McCormick, and I think that's just the most logical thing right now. And then I think when Myers comes back, if he's healthy and and can be productive, it's his. I think he's the guy I, I personally. But um, and then we'll just I think you one of those one well, one of those three are going to be gone by at the trade deadline this season if if we have a season.
1: Okay, I said I'd give you the last word, but I'm going to get the last word in here because I'm controlling <laughs> this show. Jose Siri scares me. Right? How many almost collisions did they have last year in the little bit that he played? Um, no, I, I agree with you. He adds a lot of uh, zest, zip, um, energy, everything. And when he connects, the ball takes off. But man, he scares me in the field. I I thought it was going to hurt Kyle Tucker there for a minute. And I was going to have to fight him with that. And we one option you didn't mention, and we don't have time to talk about today. We'll talk about it next time. Kyle Tucker moving to center field somebody in right, right? That's another option that has been talked about. I'm not for that. We'll talk about it next time. Christian Espinosa from Seattle, Brian Dunleavy from Virginia. Fellas, I appreciate you Long along today, but it's always fun talking to the Astros next week.
2: All right, take care, fellas. See y'all.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Box Junkies. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And join us for the next episode of Juicebox
2: Junkies.